good morning, uh, City Light Southwest Iowa. How we how we doing? Well, thank you, Jason, for the introduction. Like you said, my name is Phil. I'm one of the pastors at City Light Omaha. I serve as the campus pastor at our West location, which we launched just about a year ago, and it's been uh, just a privilege for me to serve with City Light Church and just to see the amazing things that God has done. He sparked uh, a church planning movement that was really birthed out of prayer. And we're talking about prayer this morning, and it really is a privilege for me to be welcomed here this morning uh, to, to preach the Word of God to you. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew chapter 6? That's where we're going to be this morning. But I want to start by just sharing a little bit about my family and also sharing a story. Um, I am married uh, to my wife, Paige. I got a, uh, yeah, there's a photo of my family. got four beautiful daughters, uh, Sadie, Anna, Elise, and Melanie, 11, 9, 7, and 4. I think I got that right. So you can see I do live, um, I'm surrounded by women, I live in a sorority, and I'm doing my best to convince my wife that I just need to buy the biggest male dog so I can have some companionship in my life, okay? No, I'm kidding, um, my daughters are incredible, I love being a dad to four daughters, um, it's just been so fun. My two oldest daughters have actually placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they've been baptized, and I had the privilege and joy, uh, last week was our baptism celebration in West Omaha. We baptized 24 people, and one of those was my nine-year-old daughter, Anna. You guys can clap for that. Yeah, it's incredible. So just one of the, one of the proudest moments I've had as a dad to see, just to see your kids place their faith in Jesus Christ and go public with their faith. Absolutely amazing. Um, it's been incredible. We, now, we never envisioned ourselves moving to Omaha, Nebraska. I'm from New Mexico, actually. But we've been in Omaha for two and a half years and just been blown away by the amazing things that God is doing in such a short amount of time. And I want to share the story of how we ended up in Omaha because it really does relate to this text this morning because it really was us going before God and saying, God, what is your will? We were seeking him in prayer and asking God, what is it you want us to do? And my wife and I got married, married in college. We've been married 13 years now, and I got a degree in uh, structural engineering, got a job right out of college, moved to Houston, Texas, and from 2007 to 2010, I worked as a structural engineer. And long story short, three years into that, God made it abundantly clear that he was calling me and my wife into full-time vocational ministry to work with college students. And so we literally just jumped off the diving board into the deep end of full-time ministry. We raised our financial support, and I quit my job. And we did college ministry for six years, primarily at New Mexico State University. Now, that is a whole other story of seeking God of, of, uh, in prayer and fasting and saying, God, not my will be done, but thy will be done. I had no intention, just to be frank with you, to be honest, I had no intention of being a pastor. I had no intention of moving to myself to Omaha, Nebraska. Now, my best friend, Chris Haruska, who's one of the lead pastors, helped plant City Light Church six years ago um, on 45th and Nicholas in the Midtown area of Omaha. We've been friends for 15 years. So I knew about City Light. I knew about the story. I was an outsider, kind of peeking in on the story and seeing all the amazing things that God was doing. And in March of 2016, I decided to come up to Omaha, not to try to get interviewed for a pastoral position. I was recruiting college students to go with me and my wife to West Africa, Ivory Coast, West Africa, for a six-week summer mission trip. Okay, we were on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, and so 
that's what I did. I went to the campus at UNL in Lincoln, and then I went to Wayne State, and I was recruiting students, and I thought, you know what, I'll just visit, hang out with my friend on the weekend, and go to church. Well, I remember in the spring of 2016, for the very first time, walking in to the church at uh, the Midtown location, and just getting a sense that the Spirit of God is at work in this place. Now, this was still when Doug Stevens was the family pastor at the Midtown location. And him and Eric were just in the beginning stages of developing this core team and had a vision to plant City Light Council Bluffs. Okay? And so I walked in, and I got a sense, man, God is doing something special here. Now, I didn't think much of it, and so I'm driving back in the car with Chris, and he looks over at me and says, man, we're about to plant a church. We're a church of over 1,000 people, and we're about to have three pastors, and that's really not great ratios, okay? So would you consider, what would it look like for you to come up here? And honestly, I thought he was kidding. I thought it was a joke. I said, what are you trying to do? Like, are you trying to offer me a job? Is this a real thing? And I immediately was like, there's no way I'm doing that. There's no way I'm taking that step of faith. Like, God has me where he has me. I'm content. I'm doing college ministry. I've got a growing ministry. And, um, you know, I got on the plane back to New Mexico. And in my, verbally I had said no, but in my heart, God started to stir something. Well, the next thing you know, a month later, my wife and I are back on a plane, back to Omaha, Nebraska, (laughs) to get on a vision trip uh, to interview for a pastoral position. And I remember sitting down with all the elders and the pastors and uh, everything went really well, and one of the elders just leaned over at the end, and he said, listen, it, it sounds like God is doing some really amazing things where you're at, and we don't want to take you away from a good thing, so really just, just pray with your wife on this, and I, I took it to heart, you know, and my wife and I had already been praying up until that point, praying for clarity, praying for God to, to make it very clear to us what he wanted us to do. And um, before, in fact, before we even went on the vision trip, very few times has this happened in my life, where you open up the Bible randomly, but it's not really random, because God has something that he wants to speak to you in that moment. And before we went to Omaha, that's what happened. I opened up my Bible to First Chronicles, of all places, in the Old Testament, First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20, and King David is instructing Solomon to rebuild the temple of God. And you know what he says? He says, be strong and courageous and do it. Be strong and courageous and do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed for the Lord is going to be with you wherever you go. Now I read that and I was like, oh, I think I know what that means. But I'm going to sit on this one. I think it's pretty clear. And so fast forward back to the vision trip and what uh, that elder had said to really pray on it. And so that, that night, my wife and I really took that seriously, and we got on our knees, uh, we closed the door, it was in the basement of Chris's house, and we, we get on our knees by the bedside, and I look at her and I said, okay, we got to pray, we got to trust God, we got to go before him, and I said, let's pray on our knees, and on our own, and when we feel like we've heard from God, we'll open up our eyes and just share what God has put on our heart. So we're praying, I have my eyes closed, my, you know, I'm on, we're on the floor, and we're praying, and immediately she starts to giggle, and I'm like, in my prayer, I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, but I'm just going to keep praying, and all I hear from God is, be strong and courageous and do it, be strong and courageous and do it, and so I open up my eyes, and I said, okay, what did you hear 
you feel like you heard from the Lord. And she's like, no, what did you hear? And I'm like, no, what did you hear? And so finally, I tell her first, I said, I feel like God is telling us we got to go. This is the next thing. This is the next step of faith that we have to take. And she looks at me and says, I, I giggled and I was laughing because God told me that he was going to show you very clearly where we needed to go. And I just needed to be willing to follow. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of peace in that moment. I was like, wow, like, that's amazing. You know, God brought such clarity. And I kid you not, this Bible was on the nightstand. I grabbed it. I opened up right to that passage. And it's one of those Holy Spirit moments where you know with certainty that God has led you to do something, right? And it was so clear. And I share that story because in many ways, I feel like we got to experience the reward of what this passage is talking about in Matthew chapter 6. And it's not the reward of getting the answer from God, but it was more of getting God himself. You see, we were, we were praying, we were seeking God, and when we were seeking God in private, uh, praying to him, we laid all the distractions aside, and we said, God, we want to hear from you, and we heard very clearly uh, from God. It was, it was amazing. And see, our, our motive, I, I believe in that moment, it was a very pure motive. We were seeking God, we were seeking his will, we were seeking his direction for our lives. Um, and I wish that I could say honestly that my motives were always pure when I approached God. I wish that I could say that. I wish that I could say that all of my prayers are thy kingdom come prayers. But if I'm honest, I have to check the motive of my heart. And I have to ask the question, like, who am I really doing this for? Right? Because the approval and the applause of men, it, it can make you feel good. It's tempting. It's easy to fall into that trap. And for all of you this morning, I would ask you, when you approach God, what are ways that you maybe practice your righteousness or your good deeds uh, to be seen by others? And so the big idea I want you to see this morning, it should be on the screen, is this. When you pray and when you fast, your heart must be focused on the Father, not on men. In other words, the audience you have in mind when you pray and when you fast should be an audience of one, namely, your Heavenly Father. That's why I've titled this message, Audience of One. Audience of One. We have a God who is not distant and unable to, uh, to relate to his creation, but we have a God who is very relational, and he wants to experience intimacy with his most prized creation, us. That's good news. We have a good, personal, relational God. And that truth alone should, should motivate us to think on, to concentrate, to focus in on our Heavenly Father when we pray. And here in the, the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't waste any time calling out the hypocrisy by uh, questioning the motive of the heart, which we all have to just kind of examine our own heart and ask, what is the motive of my heart? Where is my primary focus? And so the first point I have for you this morning, there's two points from this text. The first one is this, focus on your Father when you pray and when you fast. Focus on your Father when you pray and when you fast. Let's, uh, 
read these verses again in Matthew 6, verse 5 through 8, and then uh, 16 through 18. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now notice the similarities when Jesus talks about fasting. I've included it here in this first point because it really it shares a common uh, statement in um, purpose regarding prayer and fasting. And you can see that it's not just about these two activities, but Jesus is really getting at the motive of the heart. Verse 16 and 8 through 18, it says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So you notice the repetition there. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in heaven. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So you'll notice a really important statement that, that Jesus emphasizes in verses 5 and verse 16. He says, when you pray... And when you fast. So this assumes that these uh, spiritual disciplines are a normal part of the regular Christian life. Now, I think all of us probably know that. We understand what prayer is, that it's communicating with God, that it's talking to God, that it's having conversation with Him. And we understand that that should be part of the Christian life. And most of you probably have heard of fasting. Maybe you haven't practiced it before, but uh, I just believe these two spiritual disciplines and what I've seen and how we pursue God, um, in practice, they have been lost in our churches and even in our own private lives when we look in and peek in on what God is, how God is present in our daily lives. And yet what Jesus is saying is that prayer is not something that would just show up on Sunday and do at church, but this should be happening behind closed doors in our homes, and in our regular uh, walk with God. Additionally, fasting should be a part of the regular practice and pattern of the Christian life. It's also important to clarify that Jesus is not saying, listen, this is the only way. Private fasting and private prayer is the only way uh, to talk to God or to go before him. That's not what he's communicating. See, again, his objective is to get to the motivation of the heart, and we see that in chapter 6 and verse 1, at the very beginning, he sets this up. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So we know from Scripture that Jesus, he prayed with other people. He prayed in the synagogues. He prayed with his disciples. And when the early church was just getting going in Acts chapter 13, there was this group of people that included Paul and Barnabas. And it says they were praying and they were fasting together. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them and moved in their hearts and was surfing, surfacing leaders. And he was sending them out for multiplication. So Jesus is not speaking against corporate prayer and fasting. What he's speaking against is the hypocrisy 
of the people who simply use lip service to gain the approval of man. And lip service, what that is, is it's an insincere expression that doesn't come from the heart. Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites. He's saying, don't be a hypocrite. A hypocrite is an actor. It's someone who puts on a mask to show the appearance of something that's not really there underneath the surface. And in other words, it's fake and the motive is impure. Additionally, you see this repeated language in verses 5 and 16 where Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Well, what is the reward for somebody who is practicing righteousness to be seen by others? That's it. That's the reward. You get a round of applause, right, from the people around you, and that's all you get. You get a round of applause, nothing from the Father, nothing from the Heavenly Father except a round of applause from men that eventually fades away. See, verse 5 says they love, they love to stand on the street corners and pray these prayers to be seen by others. Verse 7 says they heap up empty phrases because they think they're going to be heard and be seen by others. In verse 16, it says they intentionally make it noticeable that they're fasting so that other people will see them and think more highly of them. The common denominator here is a selfish desire. In other words, it's self worship. There is no love for God. There is a love for the attention and the applause of man, but there is no sincere love for Jesus. Verse 7, it says, don't be like the Gentiles. Why does Jesus say this? Because the Gentiles, they, they were heaping up these phrases, literally repeating the same things over and over again because they thought the longest and the loudest prayer would get them a reward before whatever God they were praying to. And Jesus is he's warning against this type of living. He's warning his disciples against this type of living, and he's warning us today. But, but is it not a, a natural desire for us to seek that, to seek the approval of man, to seek the applause of man, to seek to get ahead, to seek power in our lives, to get a pat on the back? But listen, if you're doing good deeds and you start to look up and you start to look sideways, you have no reward. The the focus of the camera lens of your life must zoom in and blur out everything in your peripheral and focus on the Father. We must check our hearts, that our motives are pure when we pray and when we fast. I had a, a buddy in college that unfortunately got me involved in a pyramid scheme. Maybe some of you have been involved in some of those. Um, It only lasted for a few months. The sad part about it was that um, he was really putting on a front for months. I mean, his whole motive was just to get as many people as possible underneath him, and he was going to do whatever it took to make that happen. Now, it was a real company, but he was lying, he was embellishing, he was doing whatever needed to be done, whatever means he had to choose to use people, he did it. And it didn't last long. Eventually, it was exposed. The truth came out. And he got a temporary reward financially, but things did not end well for him. 
And Jesus is saying, listen, don't focus on men. Focus on the Father. He should be the one you have in mind when you go before him, when you pray, and when you're fast. He is your reward. So don't practice the right thing for the wrong reason. Okay? So don't do the the right thing for the wrong reason. We see this in James 4, verse 3. It says this about prayer. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Jesus is saying when you come to God, you've got to come with the right motive. And the right motive says, this is not about ultimately about me. This is about the glory of God. This is about the worship of God. This is about the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And the goal is to get more of him to worship and praise his name. See, fasting and praying and fasting to be seen by men is a lot like texting and driving, okay? Because your focus should be on the road, right, when you're driving. But when you text, when you're driving, it distracts you. And you could veer off the road and really mess up your life. And in a similar way, our focus when we're praying and fasting should be on the Father, who, by the way, is mentioned seven times just in these verses, So our audience should be an audience of one. Like nobody's approval or affirmation matters more than our Heavenly Father. But when we get sidetracked, when we get distracted by men, we can veer off the path that God has for us and we can miss out on the reward. And the reward that Jesus talks about is not, it's not a ribbon, it's not a trophy, it's not a plaque. It's God himself. And so the reason that we come to God in in prayer and fasting is to get more of God, to feast on him, to know him more, to know his character and his love and, and his holiness. See, Jesus is not impressed by long and lofty prayers. He's, he's impressed by an honest heart before him. He's not looking for a polished prayer. He's looking for your heart. See, our God is an incredible personal God. He is our Father, and it's about a relationship with Him. And God already knows everything that we need before we even ask Him, but He desires us to come before Him in prayer. He wants us to have conversation with Him. He wants us to talk to Him. See, He desires words for relationship, not words for religion and repetition, but words for a conversation with the Father who loves to hear from us. It's amazing. I'm going to get into some of the practical applications of prayer in my next point, but I do want to touch on real briefly some practical applications when it comes to fasting. And I'll say this, that some of the closest experiences with God that I've ever had have been seasons of prayer and fasting. And now some of you might be new to that idea. Maybe some of you have fasted before. uh, But if you haven't, I would encourage you to start small. Like you probably don't want to do a three-day fast from food and water. That's just not, wouldn't be healthy. Uh, it might, yeah, there, that's just not a good idea. Don't start there. But you could start by just fasting from a meal. Like during the week, or, you know, just fast from lunch. And take that time to, to get into God's word and to pray. Or take an entire day to fast from food, but make sure you drink plenty of water. See, there's, there, there's all different kinds of ways and different types of fasting. The Bible is not prescriptive on this, but it does say when you fast. That's what Jesus says. So he assumes that we're doing it on some level. 
A very another practical way that you can fast is fasting from social media. And I'll be the first to say, I'll raise my hand and say, I have done that. I've needed to do that um, because what social media does is it steals your time away. It steals your time away. But whatever you're doing, you need to ask this question, why am I doing this? And who am I doing this for? Like if the motive is not for God, don't do it. You know, check your heart before you fast. But I would encourage you, to look at how you can make this a part of your regular walk with God. So we've seen that our motivation when we pray and when we fast is not to get things from God, but it's ultimately to delight in God. We go before God to get more of Him. And then in the middle of this text, Jesus gives us some very clear instructions how to pray, and He actually gives us the primary motivation why we even come before Him. And so that leads me to my second point, and the second point is this. Focus on following Jesus' model to pray. Focus on following Jesus' model to pray. Now, there's one more account of the Lord's Prayer. It's in the Gospel of Luke, and the disciples were actually asking Jesus, hey, teach us how to pray. Like, help us. Like, we don't know what we're doing. Help us understand what is the right way to pray. And Jesus answers them with the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So right off the bat, the first thing I want you to see from this prayer is that it starts with God and ends with us. It starts with God and ends with us. But how many of us have this backwards, right? We go to God and we say, me, 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 right? And it's true. Like, don't get me wrong. God wants to hear our prayers. He wants us to cry out to him. He wants to know what our needs are But again, the question is, what's the focus on, right? What's the focus of our hearts? It's really a matter of the motive. And uh, Jesus says in verse 9 to pray like this. So we know that this isn't the only way to pray. It's a model for us to pray. And it starts by acknowledging that we have a personal God. And that is good news, that we have a heavenly Father who deeply cares for us and loves us and acknowledges us as his children But that's how our prayer should start, by acknowledging, looking up to God and saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You are holy. You are righteous. You are mighty. It's a recognition that God is God, and we are not. His name is perfect. His name is holy and blameless. And he's the only one deserving of our praise and worthy of our worship. I recently read a book uh, by John Piper called Hunger for God. And Chuck Kaiser actually recommended it to me. Chuck Kaiser, one of the pastors uh, with City Light. And I think he's probably preached here before, so you guys know who I'm talking about. But it's a book on prayer and fasting. And I read this book, and it just, it rocked my world, if I can say that. It convicted my heart for me to be more fervent in my, in my prayer and, and my prayer life. And the way that I approach God, be both fervent in prayer and fasting and doing it with the right motivation. And the right motivation is right here 
in the Lord's Prayer. It wedged right in the middle of the entire Sermon on the Mount is the, the heart motivation for really everything that we do in our lives. And John Piper argues that it's threefold. Number one, that God's name would be hallowed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the second thing is, your kingdom come. We're praying that God's kingdom would come. And then thirdly, that his will would be done. So that should be our motivation to revel in the glory of God, to have a longing for his rule and his reign to come in our lives and for his will to be done. So our first prayer and longing should be that God's name be hallowed and revered, that God be worshipped and that he get all the praise. And the second thing Jesus tells us to pray for is the kingdom of God to come. I have a friend who is a church planner in Colorado Springs, and he, he posted, in fact, he's launching this month, he posted this uh, message, uh, this quote on, on Facebook a while back that really struck me because it really speaks into the Lord's Prayer and praying with a kingdom mindset. And I want to read it to you. It says this, in our current situation, where we are bombarded with self-centeredness, we are instinctually influenced to pray my kingdom come prayers rather than thy kingdom come prayers. We're tempted. to. We are tempted and conditioned to treat and view God as a consultant rather than a king. Wow, right? Convicting. Because I wish, like I said in my own life, I wish that all my prayers were kingdom-centered, kingdom-focused. But if I'm honest, that's not always the case. And I have to be so careful to check my own motive and my own heart. And I would ask you the same thing this morning. When you really look at your prayer life, what does it look like? Is it about God? Is it about his kingdom? Or is it about your kingdom? Or is it simply non-existent? I don't know. You have to go before God and figure that out. The third thing Jesus tells us to pray for is for God's will to be done. And what is ultimately God's will? When we look at the Bible and all of Scripture, for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, the primary will of God is for us to make disciples. Amen? Like that's why this church exists. That's why the family of churches exists as City Light, family of churches, we exist to multiply disciples and churches. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And we are his ambassadors, his representatives to go and help reconcile people back to God. And I couldn't help but think that none of this, God's will in our lives and our churches, it's not possible apart from the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us through the person work of Jesus Christ. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his power to go that his kingdom would advance, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done in our lives. And that means that we need to be completely and utterly dependent on him. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who has led the way in sparking this entire movement that was birthed in prayer. And may our prayer this morning be that God's will would be done in this church, in this area, in our nation, and in our world and in your own lives, as you seek to be a church focused on pleasing 
the Heavenly Father and delighting in Him. So that's the right motivation. It starts with God saying, God's name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. And then it's followed by these three requests in verse 11, 12, and 13. But listen, this is really important. Because if you don't start with God, you're going to fail to experience the things that God tells us to pray for. It's only when we start with God that we actually experience the daily bread that God talks about, that we actually experience forgiveness, that we actually experience deliverance from the enemy. Okay, so those are the requests that God tells us to pray for, for daily bread. It's asking God for provision, for him to be faithful to provide our daily needs. And then forgiveness. Now, if you're a Christian, if you are in Christ, you can know with certainty that all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future sins. Jesus paid for those on the cross. So God isn't saying, hey, you've got to plead with God. You've got to beg him for forgiveness. No, at the moment of salvation, all of your sin was paid for and all of your sins were forgiven. And when you understand that, that you receive that free gift of grace and that guilt and that shame is lifted off your shoulders It frees you up to move toward people and forgive them just as Christ has forgiven you. And then in verse 13, we see that it tells us to pray to be delivered from evil. Now, God is not a tempter. God is not the one who's tempting us to sin. So we know that our prayer is saying, God, deliver me from the enemy. Deliver me from Satan. Deliver me from the desires of my flesh and help me to run hard after Jesus Christ so that I can experience more of you. That's the greater reward that this passage is talking about. And one of the most practical ways I've learned to pray uh, was when I was a college student, and it was using this, this acronym that has always stuck with me that really follows the structure and the emphasis of the Lord's Prayer. And it's this. It, the acronym is ACTS. Some of you may have heard of it before. Um, A stands for adoration. C is confession. T is thanksgiving. And S is supplication. So you see the model starts with God and it ends with our request. It helps you remember to first do what? Worship, praise, adore, and acknowledge God for just how awesome he is. And then it humbles you to think about just the reality of your own sin and your own brokenness, so you can go before God just acknowledging that, confessing uh, that we are weak, broken people that need a Savior. And then it brings you joy to thank Him for the forgiveness that He's already given you in Christ Jesus, to thank Him for the blessings that He's given you, all the spiritual blessings that He's given us in Christ. And then it shows us that we can trust Him when we ask. We can come to Him with expectancy, knowing that He hears our requests and knowing that he already knows what we need before we even approach him. And then Jesus, he follows this prayer, this prayer model with these final verses that I want to share with you. And I'm going to close here in a moment. But look at verses 14 and 15 one more time. It says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What we often forget is that the number one thing that we have to be thankful for is the forgiveness of our sins, that we have been made right with God. 
And see, when you forgive someone, you're, you're saying, what you're communicating is you're saying, this is no longer about me and my kingdom. But this is about me extending God's kingdom to others. The focus is no longer on you, but on God and being grateful for the forgiveness that he's given you through Christ Jesus and being able to forgive others in the same way. Listen, part of forgiveness, and this, is, this can be challenging, this can be hard if we're honest, but part of forgiveness is praying for those people that have hurt you, those people that have wronged you, those people that maybe have uh, abused you, that you would describe as your enemies. But Jesus paid. He, he prayed for those that, that murdered him on the cross, and he looked out on the crowd and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So this morning, pray that your heart uh, would be changed if you're holding on to, to bitterness, no matter what has happened to you. See, forgiveness is directly tied to prayer, and that's why Jesus included it here in this prayer. And that's why he re-emphasizes it here at the end. Because if we don't show forgiveness in our hearts toward others, how are we going to experience forgiveness? How are we going to experience the reward that Jesus talks about? And the truth is that we forgive ultimately because Jesus first has forgiven us. Amen? He remembers our sin no more. He cast it as far as the east is from the west. And he takes all of our guilt and shame away. See, Jesus died for our sins. And he rose again so that we can experience forgiveness. So that we can experience a personal relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. So we can have the promise uh, of heaven forever. That's the good news. That's the gospel. I mean, we've all messed up. We've all blown it. We're all sinners. But when we put our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And we are wrapped in our Father's loving arms and brought into the family of God. And listen, we can live the Christian life with our eyes fixated on God with our hearts focused on the Father as we seek him through prayer and through fasting, extending, extending the same love and the same forgiveness that we've experienced through Christ Jesus. See, when our motive is right, when our hearts are aligned with God's, our public prayers, the things we do in public, our good deeds will be an overflow of what we've experienced privately. I want to close with this. What we practice in secret, it's going to be evident in the way that we live our lives for Christ, and for his kingdom, and for his will. And so my question for you, for all of you today, would be this. Would you begin to do that? Would you go honestly before God? Would you go home today? Would you close the door? Would you go before your heavenly Father with a sincere desire for his name, to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come, and for his will to be done in your life. And listen, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, would you simply acknowledge your sins before God? Would you confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and would you invite him in to your life as king and receive the, the free grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and begin a personal relationship with God today. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you.
We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness that you have freely given us through him. God, and we thank you for uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this teaching that Jesus did uh, that really speaks to the motive of the heart, God. And I pray, uh, God, for City Light Southwest Iowa, that this church would be a church that is marked by this prayer, God, that your name would be hallowed, that you would get the glory, that you would get the honor, that Jesus would be central, that he would be exalted, that your kingdom would come. In this area, in this city, in the 40,000 people that are in this 30-minute radius, God, that your will would be done, that people would come to Christ, that you were, your spirit would be poured out in this place in a powerful way. God, we ask that your name would be lifted high. And if you're in this room this morning, I just want to address you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you just simply pray in your heart a simple prayer that goes like this. Father God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. That I am broken. Jesus, would you come into my life as Lord and King and Savior to sit on the throne, to rule in my life? God, I, I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. I thank you for giving me eternal life. God, and I desire to live for you, for your name, for your kingdom, and for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.